What's up, YouTube? Today is March the 4th, 2018. Getting started. Here we are. Videos coming up. Live stream is on. We are rocking and rolling. Good evening, everybody. How are you? We're here on another Sunday. What's going on, C.D. Andrews? Uh, spring has sprung, at least here in Knoxville. Luckily, we did dip below freezing this morning for just a few minutes. We made it down to 31 degrees, so uh, that's going to kick back the potential outbreak of crabgrass that could have started early. So super happy that take place took place. Mother Nature provides mother nature provides check the chat here say how everybody's doing hey hey cw michael moore happy sunday to you sir lush lawns oh silver telly coleman how are you sir backwater mafia for life hey hey is gypsum necessary says tony Silvestri. jim beverage i appreciate that i feel like i look good how about them apples uh it's kind of interesting okay tony for for um Gypsum is calcium sulfate. So it's going to be a sulfated form of calcium. And what's interesting about it is its ability to move through the soil very rapidly. Super soluble, right? And, and so they sell it as this clay buster because it can, it can move through the soil so fast. Um, is it a clay buster? Ah. No, um, is so is gypsum necessary? If you need a calcium supplement, gypsum is a great calcium supplement. If you're going after soil remediation, I'm afraid you're selling yourself short by going out with the gypsum product. I hope that answers your question, Tony. Perry Sutherland, how are you doing, sir? <laughs> yeah, I was happy to see 30 on the temp, temp gauge this morning myself. I definitely was. Sitting in the parking lot waiting to get my kids from youth group watching my... How about them apples, Paul's Prime Cuts? How about them apples? Uh, Sid Barrett, home gamer with St. Aug in northwest Louisiana. Two questions. You like calcium. What does it do to the pH? Also, can I grind up charcoal briquettes and broadcast for the carbon? Sid Barrett. Okay, let's kind of take this. I, I do like calcium. Um, it is going to neutralize the pH depending on the formulation of calcium you use. So if you're using something with calcium carbonate, that's really going to affect your pH, raise it. It's going to buffer it, right? Um, you can do things like calcium sulfate, gypsum, which is going to be neutral. It's not going to have any effect on your pH. You can also use something like calcium nitrate. Calcium nitrate is not going to have a big effect on your pH. So uh, there you go. There are calcium supplements that do not have to interfere with your pH. Calcium doesn't always mean pH buffer. Can, it just isn't always that way. Uh, can you grind up charcoal briquettes? No. Uh, so charcoal briquettes are going to be uh, pushed together with polymers and hydrocarbons. And that is not going to be ideal for the soil. Um, so if you are interested in doing something like that for the carbon, 
Um, if you are able to find the charcoal free, like the, the wood chips that are uh, wood chip charcoal, it's, it's, not, it's not a true coal. Um, I forget what it's called, uh, but you could grind those up and broadcast them. It'd be very difficult to be very messy, so just keep that in mind. Back to nature. Nice to meet you, sir. Very nice meeting you. Uh, look at this. Lush Lawns just bought a, fit, a 2015 Permagreen. It needs a little work. Where's the best place to get some parts? Lush goes straight to Permagreen. Uh, Dan the Man up there, uh, Dan Shiplove and Peter Shiplove, they will take care of you on parts like you will not believe. The service is top notch. You just tell them what you need and they'll they'll get it to you super quick. So um, Permagreen is a, is a great place to go to direct for parts. Um, I haven't found them anywhere cheaper. So there you go. Hotlanta, Brian Watson. Hotlanta. How about them apples? Let's talk some poetry. Let's not talk about poetry because that is going to be a nightmare this year. I'll tell you right now. We'll get into some poetry. We will. Uh, we got Titleist here. Uh, he's got a Bermuda yard with a POA problem. This is the first year starting pre-em. What is a good option to smoke that POA? Uh, look at your sulfonyl ureas, Titleist. So you're looking for um, a revolver. Um, if it's warm enough, you can run Celsius. Uh, you can run Monument. You can run Katana. All of those are going to be sulfonyl ureas, ALS inhibitor. So, uh, you know, uh, forum sulfuron, trifloxy sulfuron, iota sulfuron, if it's hot. Um, rim sulfuron works. I don't think you can buy just straight rim sulfuron anymore. But anyway, it's all the sulfonyl ureas that tend to have control. So, the, the, what I would recommend is Monument. Monument is my favorite. Um, if it's cool enough in your area, and you're less than 15% green, you can run low rates of glyphosate as well. Derek, uh, I'm not going to get really any good results from the ethofumisate on Poetrev, <coughs> but what I am doing is running ethofumisate, tenacity, and sulfentrazone on Poetrev in a single mix just to see what that does. Yes, yeah, CW, this is definitely the worst year I've ever seen it either. Uh, Perry, I've got some green up going on in my Bermuda grass as it is. So that's interesting to see. Most of it's right there around the fireplace where I had some giant fires going this winter. Um, all of that has pretty much started to green up pretty, uh, evenly there and about cowboy charcoal. That's right. Jay Droby checking in from Maine, still chipping away at the ice. That's funny. Hey, Dro Droby, how far away are you from Portland, Maine? What's going on? Lawn Digest is in here. Mechanically inclined sprinkler repair. That's my friend Jesse Ray. Uh, for those of you that are industry professionals, uh, Lawn Digest is a mentoring group for people that are new to the industry and are looking for someone who's more seasoned in the industry to be able to help you along as you get underway in this green industry journey. So if you're not a member of Lawn Digest and you would, you should be, you really should be. It's, um, it's very, very valuable for someone who's seasoned as well as someone who's new to the industry. I would not recommend starting anywhere else than Lawn Digest. The dude, Rockledge, Florida. 
on the Space Coast. That's right. That's my man right there. Uh, are you having good weather down there for your uh, appliances? We have been battling wind and rain up here. No, man, uh, Ryan, it's been, we've had tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of rain. So, you know, realistically, it's been like three days of production a week, you know, sometimes four days of production a week. The rest of the time, it's dodging the rain. So, no, I have not had the best weather. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out going into the later ends of pre-emergent season. And then as we move into late summer, I'm curious what kind of breakthrough we're going to be seeing as well. So, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous with all the rain. Shane Brady, what's going on, my friend? Uh, it's four hours, finally getting equipment ready for the season. Replaced my hose all by myself on my sprayer. There you go. Here's in. Had the battery reeling it back up. <laughs> 200 feet of manual reeling it with no handle. Yeah, I would say that's brutal. Uh, I would not have even, even thought about that. Uh, well, good for you, Shane. I'm glad you're able to get fired up and get started and get out there and get something done. Dropping the bomb on poetry, you know, don't play games with it. Get out there and get after it. So velocity, okay, we'll, we'll talk about poetry right now. Velocity is the main herbicide label for poetry control. It is escaping me what the active ingredient is. It's some, it is some uh, form of sodium, I believe, that they use. And they just pulled it. They just pulled the supplemental label for residential turf, and it's gone now. So it's the last thing that was labeled for poetry that I, that I know of. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, what is this? Bispirobac sodium. Bispirobac sodium was the active ingredient in that. And they pulled it. It's extremely expensive. I think, like, I don't know how big these containers are, but I think it was a pound or something like that. And it was 700 bucks a pound. So, you know, it's probably going to be a product that's going to cost you, you know, four to five dollars a thousand square feet to apply. But it is labeled to control Poetrip. So, in terms of Poetrip control, what we had on the market was velocity. Velocity's gone or is going away now. We're losing our label for it. Um, so, what I'm looking for is some sort of solution to control it or at least suppress it so violently that it'll give the chance uh, for fescue to recover in it. And that's why I'm going so aggressive with the mesotrione and ethyfumisate and sulfentrazone just to get an aggressive knockdown on it. So there we go. That's my that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Telly Coleman says, my brother gave me some of his Tremit PGR. Uh, I have seen where mixing it with Primo Max will get better results. Have you tried it? Uh, no, I have not. I'm not familiar with Tremit. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it will. You know, if you're if you're going after two different modes of actions with growth regulators, I'd say, yeah, you're definitely going to get some great results. So Primo in general is going to suspend or slow the production of gibberellic acid. Gibberellic acid is going to be the material in the turf grass or really any plant that makes it reach towards light. And that's where you get that upward growth from it. Uh, so uh, by suspending that, you get that slowed down. So then if you start affecting, you know, oxen production, there's there's lots of different ways you can start to manipulate the growth of the plant there and, uh, and probably over 
maximize the results you'd get from something like Primo. So no, I have not used Trimit specifically, um, but I'm sure that would be that will be uh, pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, I will be talking rates on that mix. Right now, I'm doing four ounces to the acre of sulfentrazone. I'm doing three pints to the acre of ethafumisate, and I'm doing five ounces to the acre of mesotrione. That is my potriv mix right now. Whoa, uh, skip down to the bottom here. Let me get caught up. Rob Hawkins, how are you, sir? Good to see you in here. Rob, Rob Hawkins is 60 years old. He's struggling to push the spreader. He bought two sprayers plus 105E backpack sprayers from Pete. Except for Lime, can I run a full-year program just spraying? Waiting to use next stuff. Wanting to use next stuff. Uh, yeah, you probably cannot get the volume out of those sprayers that you would need to be able to use the, the next fertilizers. Rob, um, if Ray tunes in, Ray is... Um, he's green doctor and I can send you his motorized backpack sprayer. It's a motorized backpack sprayer. It has an engine on it. It's an engine drive. And he has it set up to do foliar applications through his backpack. He has a walking boom that has nozzles. that are spaced. I think he's got three nozzles on it and they're spaced like 20 inches apart, something like that. And so that gives him, you know, an effective swath to make his applications and he can make nozzle adjustments to get a better grip on the, the types of volume he needs for whichever product he's using. So I can send you, I think I still have a copy of the build out of that. I can send that to you, Rob, and it's just, it's another thing to think about if you're struggling. Um, and also, you know, think about getting a, a skid sprayer, you know, a skid sprayer is uh you know, I, I I don't know how guys do it these days without a skid sprayer. I mean, you know, you know, I'm I'm from the the old school, I guess, kind of. You know, ten years ago, that was really all we had were skid sprayers. So it's kind of interesting. Doug from Merville in the house, had a boy, two thousand five. That is right, Doug from Merville. You're up there on the on the south side of OK Vegas. Good to see you, Doug. Good to see you. Uh, here we go. I had dollar spot last summer. Will it come back this summer? Should I put down, uh, put something down early spring or no? Uh, if you, okay, here we go. I, I'm sorry. I don't know your name. I'm going to call you party girl. I don't know if you're a party girl or not, but here's what's kind of interesting about dollar spot. If you had it last year, that means you had the conditions appropriate for the disease to break out. Does that mean you're going to have it this summer? No, it doesn't. But in all likelihood, are you? Probably. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where I, I talk to people in Ohio and they're telling me about, um, you know, this time 10 years ago, brown patch and tall fescue was never really a thing. However, it's now a thing and it's because we're, they're getting a little bit hotter than, than normal than previously, you know, experienced. And with that additional heat, that higher humidity, it's a perfect breeding ground for disease outbreak. And I'm sure that's a lot of what you're experiencing with dollar spot. If you're seeing it year over year over year, it's you're having those conditions that are favorable for it to develop year over year. So if you do have it one year, chances are you're probably going to have it the, the next year. So do you get something down early spring? Uh, yeah, you want to time it within 
you know, 10 days of when it would normally break out. So, you know, we'll say if, if you have it charted where you know that for the last two years you've had dollar spot break out on April the 20th. Well, that means on April 10th, you should be going out with some sort of systemic control to capture your dollar spot. Um, dollar spot isn't something I have to contend with here. So for me, it's Rhizoctonia brown patch. So that way I know when, oh, what is it? When is it? Uh, when, when May 15th rolls around, I have to be getting down fungicide because it's always that first week of, of um, or the third week of May when I have the Rhizoctonia breakout. So just keep that in mind. I definitely, I definitely would put something down, but you want to time it pretty close to the time of outbreak. We got some next on the way. Work with humic acids, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizae. Big believer on soil health. Thanks to you, I ran this product. I think is real. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, man. You know, it is. It, it is one of those things where I never got into the whole bacteria world when it comes to soil health. Um, it's out of my wheelhouse. That would take me another 10 years of studying to even gather the most minute grip on it. And in reality is you know, even science in general knows so little about the full biota of the soil. So, you know, that is really taking it to, to some next level stuff. I'm having a hard enough trying to understand humic acids function in soil and plants and, and fulvic acid function. So, no, man, it's uh, it is definitely real, and uh, I think you will really, really, really enjoy the results. Uh, when do you recommend putting down your first round of fertilizer on Bermuda? Um, you want to put it down after it is at the minimum fifty percent green, preferably seventy-five percent green, uh, or maybe even completely green, somewhere in there. So. You know, I would say 50% on, go ahead and be planning your, your first round of fertilizer. Uh, start saving, Rob. Start saving. Ryan, you might not be able to give a price on RGS, but if you can, what approximately does it run for five-gallon containers? Uh, Ryan, shoot me an email, and um, I'll show you uh, what it is. Nah, there is. Oh, Russell Skipper's got them taken care of. Uh, my yard is covered in poa annua. Didn't have any last year. When it gets super hot in the summer and dies, will my tall fescue fill in those spots? Mandy Lee, yes. Simply put, yes. All right. Wow. Ran through the chat pretty quickly there. You know, here here we are. This is you know this is pretty pretty early into the season, and one thing I've noticed after getting off the necessity of urea. I'm seeing a tremendous improvement in my lawns. And I don't know if I will ever go back to using urea. I, I hate to say I'm, I'm putting it off completely, um, but in terms of response, plant response that I'm getting from ammonium sulfate, from an, an ammoniacal nitrogen source, I'm really not seeing the value in going to something that's urea base. And I think it all goes down to that idea of, you know, when it's not even an idea, it's, it's just the science. When urea makes it to the soil and it reacts with water, 
there's a chemical reaction that takes place with the enzyme urease. The urease converts the urea into NH4 and CO2, so ammonia and CO2. That ammonia is your, your, usable, your usable nitrogen source. That conversion is so inefficient, it's extremely inefficient, extremely inefficient. And that's why you just do not get the color response from your urea in sources that you do from your ammoniacal nitrogen sources. So, you know, it's been a really interesting thing here that's, that's I've, I've been able to really watch and chart out and see exactly how it happens. So, you know, yes, you may be putting down less nitrogen, but I think we have to get our mindset away from the total number of pounds of nitrogen that we're putting down and making sure that the nitrogen we are putting down is more efficiently utilized. We're not losing 50, 60, 70% to volatilization, 50, 60, 70% to, to runoff or leaching. Whereas when you're using an ammoniacal nitrogen source like ammonium sulfate, especially in cool weather, it's so stable, it lasts for a really long time and you get a much more efficient use rate out of it and therefore less waste and therefore more color because more of the N you apply is plant available. So keep that in mind. If anybody feels like they're in, in, a, in a stuck position with their program, think about making that transition from urea to an ammoniacal nitrogen source. Um, I would be careful with things like ammonium nitrate because ammonium nitrate is so aggressive in draining the soil. Uh, I've used it on Bermuda grass to the point where it actually began to thin out Bermuda. So I like ammonium sulfate. I like the sulfate particle. I like the sulfur content. Turfgrass uses sulfur. And here's the thing, when it comes to actually, if your concern is affecting soil pH, from a 6.5, uh, I want to say it was taking the pH from a... Um, it was like an 8.5 to a 7.5. It took 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate per thousand square feet to drop it a full point. To drop it from a 7.5 to a 6.5 took 10 times as much. So it was like a thousand pounds per thousand square feet to make that drop. So, you know, if you're already neutral or close to it, um, you you know it, the the pH scale is exponential, so uh, it takes a significant amount of ammonium sulfate to really affect soil pH long term. So it's something that you can correct pretty simply if you are you know having an acidifying effect on the soil. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That's kind of where I've shifted my focus more towards now is staying away from urea and spending more time on ammoniacal nitrogen sources, specifically ammonium sulfate. Last week you said spray down 21.0 with RGS. Do you have 21.0 you recommend and where to buy? Uh, Derek, just make sure that the nitrogen source in the 21.0 is ammonium sulfate. Um, and, it, you know, 21.0 is 21.0, so um, there's not a specific brand I recommend as long as it's ammonium sulfate. And where to buy it, any co-op, site one, any place that sells fertilizer should have it. If they're, you know, a legit place, I guess. 
Hello from Fort Worth. What's going on down there in Fort Worth? I got some friends down there. Uh, Bermuda Lawn, worried about Dallas grass. Bermuda's starting to wake up. Any suggestions? Um, no, I mean, you're just going to have to let it wake up and let your Dallas grass turn green. And then after the 4th of July, begin planning your tribute total applications. There's nothing you can do once a lawn already has Dallas grass. Dallas grass is perennial. So once Dallas grass is already in a Bermuda lawn, there's nothing you can do to prevent it from coming out of dormancy because it's going to go dormant just like your Bermuda does when it's cool outside. So you have to let it go dormant. And if it goes dormant, you got to let it come out of dormancy. And then as you make that transition, as your the number of daylight hours begins to decline when your Dallas grass is beginning to store its carbohydrates produced from photosynthesis in the root system. That's when you want to interrupt that cycle. That's when it's going to be moving so much material from the leaf tissue to the root zone. You make your tribute applications then. If you don't feel like using tribute, you can run uh, Revolver and Celsius. That's a good mix. It's two of the main active ingredients in tribute total. And you will get that same effect. And you interrupt that carbohydrate storage uh, uh, cycle that's taking place and ultimately cause the plant to fail. So, unfortunately, yeah, you just got to let it come in and do its thing and, and then run with it. Currently spraying 50% urea mixed with 50% ammonium nitrate. Any better suggestions for a liquid end source? Um, no, I mean, CW, that's not bad. Um, since you are spraying urea, um, I would do something to stabilize that urea because you will lose so much of it. You can either block the enzyme uh, with a urease inhibitor or you can tie it up with something like humic acid to stabilize it. That way you'll get a little bit better performance out of urea otherwise. Um, and then the other thing to consider too would be ammonium sulfate. And the reason being is um, the sulfate ion. Uh, sulfate's very powerful. How are you feeling about prodiamine code of fruit you put out? I'm <laughs> feeling great about it. No, I feel way more comfortable about it now than I did. I've calmed down. Um, and it's going to be one of those things where it's just going to take a little bit of uh, repetition to get used to it, I guess. Um, you know, it's just different. It's my first year doing it. So I feel, I feel silly doing it. But now at this point, I feel like a champion doing it. So no, I'm, I'm super comfortable at this point with it, for sure. I say thank you for recommending Waypoint Analytical for soil testing. Literally sent off my soil test last Tuesday. Got my results on Thursday. For those of you who don't know that I'm looking for a great place to soil test, um, Waypoint Analytical is who I would recommend. Um, I will tell you that this Waypoint Analytical is going to be, um, you have to know what kind of test you want. They can test for what you want and you can have a very simple test perform you can have a very extravagant test for uh, perform uh, so you know if you're looking for a higher end test uh, I would say waypoint analytical is going to be the way to go I would not get a waypoint analytical test to expect them to analyze your soul test for you and give you uh, a total perfect chart of where everything needs to be and whatnot they want to give you raw data that you can use so uh, just just keep that in mind but waypoint analytical is great i'm glad they helped you out telly i'm really really excited to, to hear that 
City Andrews, bust out the pen and paper. Bust them out. Okay, Sigmund, how many times are you running RGS? Um, okay, so it's, it's, there's an interesting thing to this. Can you over-apply humic acid? In theory, yes. What is the rate? I don't know. No one really knows. So humic acid in general is going to contain a lot of lipids. And those lipids, you know, it's a, it almost feels like this goopy, waxy type feeling, you know, these organic acids. And, and the, the, the lipids themselves at some point can have the potential to become hydrophobic, to repel water. At what rate that is, I don't know. And, you know, this is something I talked to John Perry about. And, and one of his deals is remediating the soil at his plant. And he's out there blasting it, which is these giant concentrations of humic acid left over from his reactions. And so far, the only thing that's happening is the soil is improving. The turf is improving. So he has not hit that threshold yet to start causing the decline. I don't know what that is. So in terms of spraying RGS, you know, really it's up to you how often you want to use it. Um, how often do you need to use it? I don't know. It's going to vary from, from soil type to soil type and location to location. So typically what I like to do, I'll run it now. I'm not going to run it again until June. And then I'm not going to run it again until seed time. So, you know, I'll be running it three times, three rounds this year. And uh, and then the rest of the time in there, I'll be playing with some of the other products. Like I'm going to be running Dethatch and I'm also going to be running Air 8. Uh, I'll be running Air 8 next round. And then I'll be running Dethatch uh, during my first round of disease season. Then my second round of disease season, I'll be running RGS again. And then after that, I'll be going into the late season. That'll be grub control, be, be no humic applied then. And then after that, I'll be going into seed season. I'll be spraying RGS and then fur after that and then fur after that. And then I'll probably mix it up, may do a little humic 12 in there. So, um, you know, it just, it's, it's, you know, I, it's not something you want to go out with every round. Uh, but you need to, if you if you want to use it, you should strategically place it into your program at certain intervals. And think about this too: is the the synergy between the kelp and the humic acid is forcing root depth, not just root production, but driving roots deeper. So if you look at the plant function as it's driving roots deeper. Ask yourself, what is the plant going to require to do that? What are the plant functions that are going to be required to drive those, those, those roots? So you're going to need a host of nutrients and potential micronutrients to get that accomplished. So, you know, look at, you know, your N levels, look at your K levels and potential micronutrient levels. You know, and there's micronutrients outside of iron. So keep that in mind. 
So if you have a soil that is deficient, relatively deficient, like where I'm at, you know, super clay soils, typically I'm, I'm pretty high in micronutrients. So I don't have to do a whole lot of supplementation with them. Um, if I can get those roots to drive deep, then typically they'll run into the micronutrients to be utilized. So how often realistically do I need to run RGS? Three, maybe four times a year at the low rate. So there you go. That's about as easy of an answer as I could give. And there was nothing easy about that answer. I'm sorry, Sugan. That was terrible. That was terrible. Rob Hawkins says, next 1801 green punch, urea and ammonium nitrate. Being a liquid, does it have to be washed off the plant into the soil to react with urease? Any other liquid nitrogen sources, foliar nitrogen? Okay, so here's the thing. Foliar nitrogen is a little different. So the urea in general, yes, part of it would have, some of it will make its way in foliarly to the plant. The other part of it is going to work its way, is going to have to, quote unquote, wash off the plant into the soil, react with urease. Your ammonium nitrate in this is going to be foliarly absorbed straight into the leaf tissue. So, you know, yeah, you're, you know, when you're doing a foliar application, you're getting an immediate rapid uptake of nitrogen that takes place. You're not having to wait for it to perk through the soil for the roots to be able to take it up that way. Um, so there you go. And, and in terms of liquid nitrogen sources, I mean, there's, there's tons of them. You know, you've got urea, you've got methylene urea formaldehyde methylene urea trizone urea um you've got your ammoniacal sources you know you got diammonium phosphate um you've got uh dap you got map you've got calcium nitrate you've got ammonium sulfate and ammonium nitrate so i mean you've got tons and tons of choices what is up Brandon, how are you, sir? I bet it does feel good to be back on lines. I bet it does. How many rounds do I run? I do seven rounds and an aeration overseed, so eight times. Do you always pre-treat for grubs, and what do you run? Luke, no, I do not always pre-treat for grubs. Um, I do only on lawns that have a history of grub issues. And a lot of times... Like right now when I'm on a new property and I'm, I'm seeing big areas that are wiped out, typically I'm able to identify it as grub damage. It feels different under your feet. And so, you know, then I'll make a note on that account to put down a grub control. And really it depends on what I can get from my supplier. Sometimes I have to use a metacloprid. Sometimes I can use a celeprim. So, you know, it depends. If you do use a metacloprid, make sure you follow the label instructions. Don't be spraying it on things that are in blooms. Uh, that are in full bloom and zinc. It's not going to be long before a minocloper gets taken away from us. RGS safe on new St. Augustine sod. Already stressed. No rain in a while. Two weeks old. Uh, RGS is going to be safe. Anything you want to pour it on. There's there's no risk there. There's no there's no salt load to potentially cause an issue with uh, with turf grass. You know. It would be really hard. You have a higher likelihood of, of yellow tipping it from the amount of um, uh, cytokinins in the kelp than you do any of the humic part of it. So, no, you're you're good to go. You can put RGS on on just about anything. I can't think of an instance where you couldn't put it on something. 
Uh, spring aeration for fescue in the transition zone. What would you do? I have new customers who are down to dirt, going to aerate and seed, spray tenacity and RGS, put down a granular fertile on thought. That's all you can do right there. Uh, tell them to expect a 25% success rate. That's typically what I say. I'd, I'd say, you know, we're going to get about a 30% success rate. And unfortunately, it's just, that means that's, that's, 30% less coverage we have to worry about when the fall comes. So it's not a complete waste. A lot of times I try and tell people, you know, hey, I'd love to start your lawn right now, but I'd rather start it in the fall because I'm not going to be able to have enough success with it. So there you go. After your time with Lawn Ecology, what's up with Air 8? What's up, Chuck B? Okay, Air 8 is, it's a quote unquote, it's a chemical aeration. It's not a um uh, a surfactant or wetting agent so 99 percent of liquid aeration products on the market are surfactants they contain a wetting agent that breaks surface tension to allow water to perk easier into the soil we use we did use wetting agents in the golf world uh for localized dry spots where um, once soil reaches a certain level of dehydration, it can become hydrophobic. Certain diseases can cause areas of soil to resist water, it becomes hydrophobic. You apply a wetting agent to force that water in there. It cuts the surface tension. It can slide right in. So when we're talking about air eight, we are not talking about that. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with baby shampoo. It's completely different. Your liquid aeration products out on the market right now are baby shampoo. That's it. Air 8 is not baby shampoo. What Air 8 is, is humic acid combined with potassium hydroxide. So to produce humic acid, you have to react it in a high pH solution. And then as you filter off any solid particles, and move it to a next tank, you shock it to bring the pH back down, filter the precipitate, move it to the next tank. So anyway, it's not been reacted completely back down to neutral or acidic pH. So what's, what happens is, is you have this partially reacted humic acid with still a relatively high pH, you apply it to the soil, and it completes that reaction in the soil. And so it actually completes that reaction moving through the humus layer in the soil, dragging everything down with it. It's dragging humic in with it. It's dragging and capturing, you know, negatively charged ions, moving it deeper into the soil. And so you create all these micro fractures that is a giant increase in surface area. And surface area is the name of the game. The more surface area your soil has, the higher performing your turf grass will be. So air eight is a chemical reaction that takes place in the soil, in the humus layer, that creates these micro fractures to increase surface area to help drive oxygen penetration, airflow, and ultimately deeper roots. I hope, I hope that answers your question. What's up, Chuck B? What is up, man? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm, I've already sprayed a little bit of it this year, and I am spraying it all next round. My round two will be all air eight. 
Brandon, my target in this year is I'm going to try two and a half pounds of in this year. That is the lowest in I've ever run on cool season grass. Tips for finally breaking here so I can get back and do some more apps. That's right, Chuck B. It's time to get out there and get on it, boy. It's time to get on it. I feel you. It broke here. You know, I'm uh, I'm about a month in on applications, just over a month, five weeks in on applications. And uh, it is feels so good to be back out on the yards. I'm so excited. Everything's looking great right now, so I couldn't be any happier. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on the liquid aeration, but we've always sold core aeration with seeding. If aeration is not needed mechanically now, what are you suggesting for seed bed prep? Okay, first off, in terms of generating seed to soil contact, aeration is not the best thing. Um, it is a sound cultural practice. I will continue to aerate lawns. Um, it's instant gratification. It's instant feedback from a customer. Um, and, and typically in my neck of the woods, it always has a po positive impact. So I will continue to mechanically aerate. However, if I can still apply a liquid that's going to enhance soil when it's not aerated in that time period coming out of winter in the spring and then through the dog days of summer, if it can fill that void with soil improvement then that's great for me so you know i can't tell you you know in terms of seed bed prep you know think about you know slit seed in the yard uh or broad you know broadcasting it and slit seeding it and you don't have to use a slit seeder that uh you know is going to rip up the ground most slit seeders they sell us right now are zip seeders and uh it's a it's a verticutter with a seed box on it and it verticuts the soil and then drops seed in behind it. And, you know, that's where you, where, you know, you get that slit seeder. It cuts those, those slits in the ground. It just tears stuff up. But you can get a, a, a slit seeder that is just going to push seed into the ground. And there you go. Um, you know, so maybe just a, a slit seeder. And I don't know. I don't know, man. CW, there's, there's, there's a million ways to go about it. There, I mean, there's a million ways to skin a cat. And really what it comes down to is what you're equipped to do and how you're going to make the most money getting it done and still delivering a better result than your competitors. What in per thousand should I use for my first application when the Bermuda wakes up? Michael, I would go out with at least a, I would go out with a full pound of in on wake up and I would do so from an ammoniacal nitrogen source. So I would use 2100 at five pounds per thousand, no slow release, just that come out, hit it, and watch that bad boy blow up. Uh, that, that baby should catch on fire. Will you apply air eight after your mechanical aeration? Uh, after you, you mechanically aerate? No, I don't know why I would do that. So I mechanically aerate in fall, I'm going to be applying Air 8 in spring. That's, that's kind of my deal. Are you required to leave what you perform on lawns in Tennessee other than herbs? Uh, yes, yes. We have to... Uh, you don't necessarily have to leave it, but you have to send a copy. So it can be on your invoice. You don't have to leave it at the door. You can email it or whatever. But each time you treat a yard, you do have to tell what was done tree yard what brand slit cedar do you recommend i don't know i do not know 
Um, all the ones I've used are verticutters too, so I don't know. I bet you are, Michael. I've got uh, Bermuda greening up in my backyard, and it's really exciting to see. Um, you know, that just opens up a whole new wave of things to do. I'm working on more fields this year, so I'm excited to see how those fields break out. Um, I know they're ready. They're ready. With this this cooler weather we had this morning, I'd say it's going to set them back another couple weeks, but probably as we start rolling into mid-March, I'm going to guess that this year we'll be three weeks ahead on Bermuda green up than we were last year. It seemed like last year was pretty pretty slow come around, um, but I don't think that'll be the case this year. I think this year is just going to absolutely explode out of the ground. Does anybody have any more questions? Any more questions? You want to talk turf? Let's talk turf. You want to talk furt? We'll talk furt. You want to talk about temperature? We'll talk temperature. If we want to talk about Poet Trivialis, I'm going to tell you to go somewhere else. My front is starting to turn green. I have 10 pounds of Yukon ready for the backyard. That's it right there. That's it right there. Yukon, a little, little cold weather seed for you. Um, I went and looked at a Yukon property the other day, and it is struggling. Uh, not looking good. Pretty weedy. Um and it seems like Yukon is way more sensitive around trees than other turf type, uh, other Bermuda type. So I don't know if that is just a fluke for that particular property or it is an, um, an attribute of Yukon. So there you go. Brandon, I would say 5 to 7% of my lawns are Bermuda. Five, six, or seven percent of my lawns are Bermuda. The rest of them are fescue, and maybe like a maybe like a ten zorgia properties that I maintain, something like that. All right, y'all. It is seven forty-six. I am going to call it. I'm going to get the kids wrapped up and throw them in bed, and I've got to continue working on. The fertilizer project, real quick, just to kind of clue you in on the fertilizer project, within the next couple of weeks here, we are going to have a pretty big announcement regarding the granular fertilizer we're putting together. Um, so I'm just going to tease that right now as being two weeks away. That's about, y'all have the same information that I have on that point right there. So two weeks away, big announcements coming. Uh, I don't even know what the big announcement is going to be anymore. Uh, Lush Lawns, we'll get some more whiteboard action. It's when I have time to get in front of a whiteboard and do some recording. Um, it's just I don't have a lot of time to do that right now. I've got a lot of irons in the fire, so it's kind of chaos. Uh, Matt Fouché, if you were in Louisville, Kentucky, I would go turf-type tall fescue, my friend. Turf-type tall fescue. Y'all are very welcome. Um Let's look at what a next program would look like going all in with liquids. Uh, I don't do liquids, Sigmund, so uh, I would not be able to give you an all-in program on what that looks like. Uh, so anyway, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have questions that I did not get to tonight, be sure to send me an email at thegrassfactor at gmail.com. Uh, I'm always linging around there. Uh, don't forget to check out Lawn Digest on Facebook if you are an in-industry professional. And, uh, 
and get some get some good camaraderie, some good mentorship taking place there. Uh, it's a it's a it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. All right, y'all. I appreciate y'all all tuning in. Thank you so much. Y'all have a good evening. Take it easy.